Hi, everyone. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And I have with me today Rusty Turner, the editor here in Northwest Arkansas. And we have the uh, pleasant opportunity to visit with Daisy Bonilla, who is a Democrat from Bentonville, who's running in District 93 for a seat in the uh, Arkansas House of Representatives. So welcome to our interview. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, Ms. Bonilla is a social worker in the mental health field, and uh, uh, I believe this is, is this your first run for public office? It is. Okay. All right. Well, if you don't mind, would you just kind of describe the geographic area that is District uh, 93 uh, for, for those who aren't familiar with it? The District 93 is mostly downtown Bentonville, but it does have slivers of Rogers up to NWAC, Little Flock, um, goes up to right about where the highway starts and divides Bentonville and Bella Vista, and it goes through slivers of Centerton and then Cave Springs. Okay, but but vast majority of it is, um, is urban uh, city uh, of Bentonville is the core urban. part of it. Okay. All right, well, tell us just a little bit about um, kind of your thought process for making the decision to run and also what people can expect out of you um, in terms of issues that you've identified uh, or, or anything else as if you do get elected to, uh, to the next two year term. Well, I guess for me, it's I'm a social worker, like you stated, and it's my clients really trying to fight for my clients. I have experience in both education, healthcare, mental health. And so just identifying the gaps that don't allow, at least for us, and I think, you know, in the healthcare field, medical professionals, how we are serving our community. And then, you know, being a social worker in, um, in a hospital, when we're referring clients outside, the resources that do or don't exist and how laws affect that. And so really just trying to run and represent our community. Um, the big turning point for me that helped me that really launched this whole campaign was when I was working in a child abuse center in Springdale. And for me, you know, child abuse is a really big passion of mine. And I was working with a toddler at the time, very tiny little girl, and she was coming in for her second time, her second defense. Um, and it was, it, it was a really big deal. And we, I, working together with law enforcement agents, state police, prosecuting attorneys, other social workers, we, we try really hard to prove these cases and get our families justice. And we couldn't do that for this client. It was just the way the laws are written. It's offenders have more rights than survivors do and children. And so that was really the start of this whole journey. How can we fix this? How can we get justice for the communities that are hurting? And, and that was really the launch. And so continuing to be a social worker in this area and seeing the gaps, just trying to address them. As far as the issues that are important to me, Healthcare access. I think making sure that all our Kansans have access to healthcare, especially given COVID-19 and the current crisis that we're in. Uh, one of the most impactful stories that I have that I carry with me is a 63-year-old client who became homeless because there was no moratorium on rent and she was ill. Um, she was camping and because that's that was her alternative. And she refused to go to the hospital because she couldn't afford the bill that would come with that. And I just, you know, I'm a believer as well that I don't think people should go broke in order to stay healthy. 
and then working in schools, maintaining strong public schools. We are a very blessed district in Bentonville, but making sure that we are supporting our teachers and our education system the way we need to as they're facing this crisis. Um, before we had a crisis, I don't think that they were being supported enough. We you know we need to, of course, increase teacher pay, but that also goes beyond that. You know, what supports are we uh, providing in having speech pathologists, dyslexia specialists, special ed teachers? Are we sustaining um, our programs so that all, all of our kids can thrive regardless of their capabilities? And then um, the other issue for me would be inclusion, making sure that we are, Bentonville is a diverse world-class city, making sure that we have representatives that understand what that means and are fighting for laws, that when we attract the talent that comes to Bentonville, that we, want, that we are making sure that our laws reflect our values and are welcoming of that diversity. Um, I'll get the politics out of the way right off the bat here. Obviously, uh, the, you face a Republican in uh, the November 3rd election, uh, an incumbent who has been there for a while. Uh, what is it that uh, makes you feel like that, that things have uh, perhaps shifted or changed that uh, District 93 would elect a Democrat um, when they've been electing a Republican for a while now? I think we've seen that, you know, the last candidate that ran got close. She got really close. And we are, as Bentonville continues to grow and boom and diversify, I think we are hungry for change. I've actually had, I have the opportunity to be a part of the Bentonville uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Task Force. And it's beautiful to see the diversity that we have in these spaces. And if you, I think if our representative meets our community where they are, um, as a social worker, that's our creed, meeting people where they are so we can find out what the issues are, what is important to our community. I think I hear from our community that we want diversity and we want to make sure that we are welcoming of it, that we are making sure that our, our city, our district, our state is embracing the change that we're seeing uh, here in Arkansas. And so I think there is a real chance um, for more progressive movement here. Okay. So you mentioned uh, healthcare COVID and, and uh, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you think the states responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and what, if anything, you would have liked to have seen done differently uh, in, in the state's response. I appreciate that our governor issued a statewide mask mandate. However, I do think one of the things that I would have changed is making sure that we enacted that sooner. Um, once we saw how critical this virus was to our state, to our nation, I think we should have tried to flatten the curve a lot earlier. I have, and you know, enacting the mask mandate would have helped to do that. I um, had, I am a part of the Northwest Arkansas Latinx Task Force, and we actually had the opportunity to meet with the CDC when they were here to assess how Arkansas was responding to COVID-19. And they reported that we had inconsistent messaging, that we weren't reaching vulnerable communities, that you know people um, were in a position where there weren't enough supports available because of a lack of worker protections, uh, 
people didn't have the option to stay home if they were sick, they weren't getting paid for that. There weren't enough supports for our working class people. And when we saw that, you know, the Latinx and Marshallese communities were disproportionately affected, the CDC also agreed it's because there's a lack of education, there's a lack of outreach, um, which is why I was really perplexed and why my, my opponent or our current rep he proposed that we cut the additional funding that was provided by the Northwest Arkansas Council in half. The Northwest Arkansas Council knew these communities need this funding and our representative tried to slash that. And I think we need a representative who understands that when we take care of our neighbor's health, our vulnerable communities' health, we all benefit as a community and as a state. Um, and just all, I think another thing I would have changed is the executive order that protected corporations during this whole uh, crisis and pandemic. I think we need to make sure that we're protecting everyday Arkansans and workers. Okay. Um, so since the CDC came to town and, and made the report, uh, have you seen uh, a change? Have you seen an improvement in in uh, uh, the the government essentially its its uh, its efforts in in spreading the word and getting a consistent message into those uh, minority communities? I think they're trying. I think with the additional aid, um, they have more translators, they have more reps that, that are bilingual that speak you know, these, these languages. I think they're trying. I just, I think it, it's hard. You know, I, I don't wanna criticize something that we've never gone through before that we're, we're trying to really hard to um, combat together. I have noticed that there seems to be a push and pull between, you know, the, the House or in the Senate and our governor. And so I think I'm, I'm concerned about that because I think if we are meeting our constituents where they are and finding out what it is that their concerns are, we'd better address it. But I don't know. I think we're involving too many politics in, in people's lives and how we address this crisis. And speaking of politics, uh, a number of lawmakers uh, who object to the multiple extensions of the emergency declaration by the governor um, uh, went so far as to file a lawsuit against the state health department about some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, ongoing regulations and the fact that the 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 emergency declaration keeps getting extend keeps getting extended. What's your take on that? I don't agree with the lawsuit. I think that is that help, that in, that contributes to the um, inconsistent messaging. Um, I think right now we need to collaborate across, you know, part political lines and put our our state first, our communities first. And I know, again, as a social worker, I've heard some horror stories about our about our Department of Health and how they're handling this. Um, one that stands out to me, um, and I talked to the uh, Northwest Arkansas Council who is working with the Department of Health closely, and I told them this because it, it's concerning. I have a client, um, they are Spanish speaking, and um, she, uh, it's my client, her husband and her child, and they were all quarantined because they tested positive for COVID. And a few days later, well into their, their quarantine time, they got a letter from the Department of Health that said, hey, you know, you've been cleared of COVID. You know, you don't have to quarantine, you're good to go. And she's like, I thought we were. She tried to reach the Department of Health, couldn't find them. A few days later, they got another letter that said, hey, your quarantine time is up. Now you, you were tested, you tested positive for COVID, but now you're clear. And that letter, was not addressed to her name, but it was addressed to her address and her phone number. 
And so she called the Department of Health again, couldn't reach anybody. And so she's still not clear. Um, and she was concerned because like, I don't know what to do. And so they, they fulfilled their quarantine time. But in addition to that, their child out of the three of them, their child was the one that got the most ill. And so I think there is a lot we don't know about this virus and we can't be cavalier about how we're directing our communities. We, I think we have to be proactive in trying to control this virus and, and protect our community. In the next legislative session, which would be right off the bat come in January, I think, uh, uh, as state lawmakers, when they get elected, they take office January 1st, I think. Um, are there any structural kinds of changes that you would, you would be supportive of or, or uh, push in terms of the COVID response? In terms of the COVID response, I, I think for me, you know, healthcare making sure that our first responders have the support that they need, that they have the material that they need. Um, for me, I think it the most, I think a lot of people, well, I know some people are thinking about this, but something I would really try to push is mental health, how we're protecting our first responders and how they're dealing with this trauma. This is a, a, a traumatic situation that we're all facing as a society together. Our first responders are the first in line to handle this and they're seeing a lot of um, death. And I think we need to make sure that we are protecting them and um, helping them face this challenge. And that includes teachers. I can't tell you how many, I think the teachers should be considered first responders because they are in this pandemic. Um, they're trying to, you know, teach our children while also protecting them, maintaining themselves safe, their family safe. And, and there's a lot of, um, I think they, they're scared and there's a lot of danger. They're seeing their coworkers die. They're seeing some of their students become ill and their family members die. So I think as a, as a collective, uh, this is traumatizing and we need to make sure that we are protecting our first responders so that they can continue in this battle. We um, have also, while we've been dealing with COVID-19 all these months, uh, the nation has also gone through a, a tumultuous period of, uh, I guess, what you would could label as race relations and and uh, uh, challenges in terms of uh, how that interconnects with law enforcement. Um, what do you feel like is the role of a state legislator? Um, you know, this has become, I mean, really, besides COVID, the issue of the year. And um, but we, we don't always see this issue in the past uh, as, as any issue down at the legislature. What's the role of the legislature in dealing with some of the, some of the concerns that have been expressed over the last several months in those protests? I think it, it's to listen and to create solutions. I think that the state legislature does have a place in criminal justice reform, which is what these protests, the social unrest is calling for. Um, I've had the privilege as a social worker working in child welfare to work with law enforcement agents. And I know that most of these individuals are truly trying to protect and serve our community. So I, I am behind them, but we also have to be realistic and notice you know we, we we learn we grow we we adapt and so 
the way that our current justice system is serving our population, it's harming Black lives and, and people of color. And um, we need to look at how we reform that. And I think as a legislature, uh, we need to look at where we are investing our funds. And so currently we had a bill that was supported uh, by my opponent where it gave $163 million to a private corporate system, a prison that we know has a history of increased reoffenders. And so are we really looking for solutions or are we just doing what we've always done because that's how it's always been done? I think we need to listen to our community and when they're talking about Black Lives Matter and criminal justice reform, we need to look at what the solutions are. And so I'm a believer that we need to invest in our neighbors and in our community and not in cages. Let's find solutions to get people out of the situations that they find themselves in. Let's empower them. Let's help them. Let's not just lock them up and throw away the key. That has been a, in a lot of states, I think has been you know, it's, it's easier, I guess, to, to build a prison than it is to kind of navigate all of the um, elements of what, what would be termed social work, I guess. Um, uh, so how do, you, how do we turn the corner on that in, in the legislature? And because and, uh, obviously there's limited money. Uh, we do have a prison system to fund and law enforcement to fund and all the all these things that we currently fund. Um, so how do we turn some of those resources to uh, to some of the issues that you're you're talking about? I think we really need to look at our community. So when we're talking about, you know, we have we have to look at our laws. And so we still um, criminalize criminalize marijuana. And so we know we've evolved since then. And so we don't need to, we no longer have to uh, give such harsh punishments for thing, for you know being in possession of it and we legalize it. And, um, but also recognizing that people who are going through maybe addictions, substance abuse or veterans who go through PTSD and maybe use you know, drugs to cope or people who have been brought up in those environments, you know, how do we help them? I think by investing in communities. Uh, in Bentonville, we had a substance abuse center that was shut down and a few years ago and it was never replaced. And that was the only substance abuse center in Bentonville. And now people have to go, I think it's the nearest one. I literally, when I have been told when I'm looking for these resources, we send people out of state or in hours away from here. We need to, there's an opiate crisis here in Northwest Arkansas. We need to address it and not criminalize people for their disease. We need to recognize that, we, that they need help and how do we do that? And I think as, um, as an entity, the legislature has a responsibility to look and see where we are uh, making budget cuts and where we should do them instead. And so I also think that we need to invest more in schools and again, not in prison systems. Do you, uh, have you formed an opinion on the um, hate crimes bill that uh, Senator Hendren and Representative Flowers have been, uh, have been working on? Uh, have you seen it? Have you formed an opinion about it? What's your, what's your take on that? 
I have formed an opinion. I am for it. I think it's high time that Arkansas has one. Uh, being one of the last four states not to, I, I don't think that's reflective of where we are as a community and as a state. Um, as a social worker, as a woman of color, I've seen how discrimination affects people in this area. And I think we need to hold people accountable and have the law hold people to the highest extent of the law um, so that people know we're going to take this seriously and we're not going to allow it and we, we support diversity and we want it here. Okay. You, um, you mentioned inclusion and in, in your uh, initial statement, I think. And I, so uh, we see some of that at the local level. What, how, how do you think that plays out at the state level in the legislature um, as far as any kind of mechanisms that you would want to pursue to to promote that? I think the Religious Freedom Act comes to mind, making sure that people of all backgrounds are protected. Um, we still have laws that permit people to be discriminated against uh, based on the, their sexual orientation, you know, whether it's uh, in the home that they're able to rent out or have, or the service that they're able to receive. I think we need to make sure that we are protecting um, through our laws, every single member of our community. Okay. Um, one of the issues over the last several years has been um, protecting the Buffalo National River. And a lot of folks in Northwest Arkansas uh, have, a, have a strong connection to that river. Um, the, um, uh, that kind of took form in, in, in uh, uh, a hog farm that was there uh, within the watershed. And uh, there was a proposal uh, to uh, develop a permanent moratorium on those large-scale uh, hog farms. Um, do you have a, a kind of a perspective on that, on uh, the proposal for a permanent moratorium, uh, which, which has kind of gotten bogged down a bit in the legislature itself? I think that there are other places for these large hog farms to exist that don't threaten one of the jewels of Arkansas. The Buffalo River can't be replaced. And so we need to make sure, um, you know, we know that communities rely on this for tourism and their livelihood. So I think we need to be good stewards in, in protecting our environment and the river. And so as an environmentalist, I, I, I would protect the, the Buffalo River. Do you... Um feel like the state has a responsibility uh, for, for the, the people who whose properties are affected by any state action to to compensate them that, that seems to be one of the arguments on the other side that uh, that this if, if you issue a moratorium that that's a that's that's essentially taking some value of their property away that one's hard. I, I think I'd have to research that one a little more just to, to, to formulate a strong opinion, but I don't know. This is, I, I think the Buffalo is, is central to our state and we need to do everything we can to protect it. But I would definitely look into it more to, to, to know how, how to best listen to both, both sides. Um, I'm going to ask you about roads and highways. Uh, there's a there's a um, proposal on the ballot to take the current uh, half cent sales tax that's set to expire in a couple of years, make it permanent uh, to continue funding um, state highways. Uh, 
and also there's a component that provides funding uh, as well for counties and cities. So um, I'm interested to know what your opinion is of that plan and uh, how you'll vote on that uh, come November 3rd. I would support it. I, I hear that there are people against it, but I think I'd, I have to support it just as as a state, as a community, as a city, we are growing and booming and we need to make sure that our highways, you know, our infrastructure can sustain us. And so I think it's important that we work across all levels of government because it is frustrating, you know, living in Bentonville, there's a McCollum Road um, down the street. It's frustrating to see how those potholes get redone over and over and over again after every rain. Why can't we get it right? Um, we have a, the first time, and we have a roundabout that, you know, goes up towards Bella Vista. We spent millions on that project, and it is being torn down to be redone again. We could, that money could be better utilized for other projects. I think we need to be savvy in how we are spending our money and working across all levels of government to ensure that. Okay. Um, issue two on the ballot uh, has to do with term limits. Uh, currently, uh, uh, people are limited to, citizens are limited to serving 16 years in either house of, uh, of the state legislature. Uh, the new proposal would, uh, would, would allow someone who, after 12 years of service, to take four years off and then come back and serve another 12 years. So what's, do you have, have you decided uh, how you feel about issue two? How I decide about issue two, I think, you know, we do need, I don't know, I think the wording on it is, is odd. There, we do need to set term limits, I believe, because we, we need fresh, fresh perspectives. And if we have career politicians that stay there for an indefinite amount of time and they're not making any good policies, then I think we have the right to vote uh, for new people to come in and give us you know, a fresh voice, a fresh perspective. Okay. Uh, so you haven't made up your mind on how you'd vote? I think I'd vote no. Okay. Uh, and issue three uh, changes the way or the regulations about uh, citizen-led initiatives and how they would be placed on the ballot, uh, in the, the general election ballot. Uh, critics say that the proposal issue three will make it much more difficult for citizen-led initiatives to make the ballot. And supporters say that it protects uh, the ballot from out-of-state um, uh, special interests from influencing the ballot. So what's your, what, what are your thoughts on issue three? Uh, definitely voting no, because I don't think we should be making it harder for private citizens to get anything on the ballot. Um, I hear the concerns, but I mean, it would help, it would have to still be supported by our community. So I think anything that makes it harder for bipartisan laws to make it to our floor, I don't think that's a good idea. So I would be voting no. Okay. Um, we do just have a couple of minutes left, um, and we don't always, as brilliant as Rusty and I are, we don't always think of uh, think of uh, everything. So um, here's just an open-ended invitation for you to uh, anything we haven't asked about that you think is important to the people of District 93, or that uh, you think is is critical to people understanding your candidacy. Uh, come November 3rd uh, or before. Um, uh, just uh, let us uh, let us hear that. I think it's time. I really do think it's time for a fresh voice, fresh perspective. Our incumbent has been here since 2012 and I think he's supported 
um, archaic laws and that don't represent the values of Bentonville, of, of District 93. And I think we need someone to step up for our community. And unfortunately, I have experienced many situations recently where he doesn't show up. He doesn't you know, come and talk to us and meet with us and explain why he's voting the way he's voting or participate in community questions. And so I think we need someone who's going to show up for us and fight for us. And I think that person is me. I know that person is me. I am very passionate, uh, passionate about um, children, communities, families. And I'm a big believer that if we take care of one another, we all thrive much better um, together as a state. Okay, um, Rusty, did you have anything else on your mind? No, no, I don't. I wanna thank you though, uh, Daisy, for being here with us and spending some time with us. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, both. we really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Good luck on the campaign. Thank you so much, you too. Okay, take care. Stay safe.